Before I start, I want to know, do any of you guys know what dramatic irony is? Does anyone know what dramatic irony is? Of course, the drama teacher. What, Justin, is dramatic irony? Well, you see, it's when we know the answer and the uh, characters do not know the answer. That's right. It's when you're in a situation where the characters don't know the answer to something, but all of the audience members do. A really famous example is Oedipus Rex. Now, Oedipus Rex is a complex uh, play, and in Oedipus Rex, one of the things that goes on is you have the king, and the king is like, needs to find a murderer, and the thing is, the king doesn't know, and none of the people around the king knows that the king himself is the murderer, but everyone in the audience knows. And so it creates this crazy situation. Because while he knows that he murdered someone, he doesn't realize that the person he murdered was the person in question. You'll have to read the play. It's a great one, well-known one. But it's a situation where everyone in the audience knows the answer and the characters don't. And that's where we are in the book of Job. Because in the book of Job, um, we got to see behind the curtain, so to speak, and we got to see the reason that God is uh, punishing, well, not punishing, but why God is causing suffering in Job's life. Who remembers? Why is God causing suffering in Job's life? Yes. To prove that he's a follower of God? No. Why is God causing suffering in Job's life? Close, but no. I'm going to give you a hint. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So the entire thing is that Job, in the book of Job, at the very beginning, God and Satan make a bet. <laughs> God and Satan make a bet with Job's life in the balance, and then God proceeds to basically ruin Job's life. He gives Satan permission to take away everything that Job has, and so in a split second, Satan kills Job's kids, Satan kills all of Job's servants, Satan has either all of Job's livestock killed or stolen by Chaldeans and Sabians, and so in a moment, Job's life goes right down the drain. Yes? What chapter are we on? Uh, we're on chapter 4. So yeah, open to Job chapter 4. And so Job's life goes down the drain, and then Satan comes back to God, and he's just like, wait, let me do more, though. And God's like, okay, but you can't kill him. And now Job's totally sick, and he's got sores and all of that. So that graphic on the board, you can read it if you want. That's basically a summary of today's lesson. And... <laughs> Yeah, that's how it starts. Because in Job chapter 3, after Job's been sitting in ashes with his pot shard for seven days with his friends in silence, then in chapter 3, Job's like, this is terrible, I want to die. And so now we're going into Job 4 through 14, which means we've got a lot of chapters to get through in a short period of time. And I'm going to try to move quickly, but that's like, what, 15 chapters? Whew, no, that's 11 chapters. Did I say 15? That's embarrassing. Yeah, it's 11 chapters, so we're going to move quickly. But Job says, I want to die. And so now, this is where the dramatic irony kicks in. We know that God and Satan made a bet. We know that Job's a righteous guy and that he is not suffering as a punishment. But none of the people know. Job's friends don't know that. And so the conversation that happens for the rest of Job is Job's friends trying to figure out or rather trying to explain what they think is happening with Job and trying to give Job advice about it. 
So this happens in three cycles, and tonight is the first cycle, where the first of Job's friends talk, and then Job responds, and then the next friend talks, and then Job responds, and then the next friend talks, and Job responds, and they do that three times. So we're doing the first one tonight, and this is going to be each of Job's friends' first crack at what Job did and what Job should do about it. What happened? Uh, Job has three friends in the first section that we get introduced to. Maybe there were other people there that were like listening in, but we at least know that there was a fourth person. So there's at least four people in addition to Job, three of which are talking during this main section. So I've given you guys the theme verses, and we're going to dive into them at the end, but the theme verses are Proverbs 26.7 and Proverbs 26.9. And Proverbs 26, 7 says, like legs are like, a I haven't memorized in a different version. Like a lame man's legs, which hang useless, is a proverb in the mouth of fools. And then 26, 9 says, like a thorn that goes into the hand of a drunkard is a proverb in the mouth of fools. And what that basically says is a Bible verse, when used by a fool, is not helpful to them in the same way that a person's legs are not helpful to them if they're lame. And a proverb in the mouth of a fool is like a sword in a drunk person's hand where not only does it not help them at all, it also is harmful to all of the people around them. So this is going to be a story about three friends misusing truth. But we're going to dive in. So the last thing that we've heard in chapter 3 was Job saying, I want to die. And now we're going to hear Eliphaz's response. And we don't have time to go through everything, but I'm going to give you the main story beats. So in chapter 7, verses 7 through 8, Eliphaz says, remember who, remember who that was innocent ever perished, or where were the upright cut off? As I have seen, those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. But by the breath of God they perish, and by the blast of his anger they are consumed. So Job is suffering, and Eliphaz says, hey man, it's the wicked that suffer. When do you ever see an innocent person swept up by God? And now here's the thing. In general, he's right. Galatians chapter 6, 7 and 9 say, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will reap. And so here's the thing. What he said was accurate. He said the innocent don't die. The innocent don't suffer. And in general, that's true. But in Job's case, is that true? No. And this is where the dramatic irony kicks in. We know that he's wrong. And yet what he's saying sounds good. Well, that's not the only thing he says. In chapter 5, Eliphaz goes further. And in verses 1 through 4, he says, uh, Call now. Is there anyone who will answer you? To which of the holy ones will you turn? Surely vexation kills the fool and jealousy slays the simple. I have seen the fool taking root, but suddenly I cursed his dwelling. His children are far from safety. They are crushed in the gate and there is no one to deliver him. And so that sounds pretty harsh, but again, um, that's echoed elsewhere in the Bible. Proverbs 10:21 says, the lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. And so Eliphaz is saying, dude, um, if you're wicked, you're going to suffer. And if you're foolish, that's going to kill you. And that'll also kill your kids. And again, we know that in this circumstance, is that true? Is that what's happening with Job? No. 
but it sounds good. And in general, it is true. Well, okay, let's look at one more thing that Eliphaz says before we see how Job responds. But in chapter 5, verse 8 through 11, if you want to follow along, it says, as for me, and this is him giving advice to Job. He's like, Job, this is what I think you should do about it. He says, as for me, I would seek God. And to God, I would commit my cause. Who does great things and unsearchable, marvelous things without number. He gives rain on the earth and he sends water on the fields and he sets on high those who are lowly and those who mourn are lifted to safety. And again, that follows with what the rest of the Bible says. He's saying, Job, uh, if you seek God, then he's going to help you. God's able to help you. He can take you from your lowly state and he can lift you up. You just need to repent. The wicked people suffer, but if you repent and you turn to God, God's going to help you. And in Proverbs chapter 3, 9 through 12, it says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. In other words, if you do what you're supposed to do, you're going to have abundance. But it also says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. So he's saying, Job, if bad things are coming your way, that's God's discipline. Don't, don't reprove God's discipline. If God's punishing you, then repent and turn to him and he'll take care of you. And in verses 17 to 18, Eliphaz says that. He says, behold, blessed is the one whom God reproves. Therefore, despise not the discipline of the Almighty. For he wounds, but he binds up. He shatters, but his hands heal. And Eliphaz's concluding statement in verse 27 is, Behold, we have searched it out, and it is true, hear and know it is for your good. And if you look at what Eliphaz says with none of the context, that's actually a really gracious way to call someone to repentance. Like he's sitting down with his friend who's suffering, and in his mind he's thinking the only reason Job would suffer is because if Job must have done something wrong. And so he says, Job, wicked people are the ones who suffer. He doesn't even start by outright saying, Job, you're a sinner. He says, Job, wicked people are the ones who suffer. I know that that's why you're suffering. But if you turn to God, he'll take care of you. God will heal you. And so if I were in your position, I would not spurn the discipline of the Lord. See God's punishment turn around and let him have mercy. If Job were in sin, that would have been a really awesome way to call him to repentance, actually. Like, that would actually be a model to follow. But the problem is, we know that Job's not in sin. And so what's Job going to say? Job's looking at his friend, and after seven days of being silent and not moving, his friend is saying, Job, this is your fault. You just need to repent. So what's Job going to say? Well, he responds. And in 6, 1 through 13, I won't read the entire section. But he says, Oh, that my vexation were weighed, and that all my calamity were laid in the balance. For then it would be heavier than the sand of the sea. For the arrows of the Almighty are in me, and my spirit drinks their poison. So he says, I'm suffering a ton. But then he goes back down and he says in verse 6, Can that which is tasteless be eaten without salt? Or is there any taste in the juice of mallow? My appetite refuses to touch them, and they are of food that is loathsome to me. So essentially what he says is, if you have something that's tasteless, you can add some salt and make it better. You can take some good stuff, put it in a bad situation, and that situation's bearable at least. But he says, my situation is so bad, and there's no salt in it. 
I can't bear up under this because all of this calamity is on me and there's no good to offset it. There's nothing that I can look at and say, well, at least I have that. He's saying, I'm jacked, man. And so he goes on and he says, is the strength of my strength of stones or is my flesh bronze? He says, am I strong enough to handle this? And he's like, why is God doing this to me? But then he continues, and in verse 24 of chapter 6, he looks at Eliphaz, who's saying, Job, the reason you're in this spot is because you sinned. And he says, okay, Eliphaz, teach me and I'll be silent. Make me understand how I have gone astray. He's, gonna, he's saying, tell me what I did wrong then. If I'm suffering because I sinned, what did I do? And in verse 25, how forceful are upright words, but what reproof what does, uh, but what does reproof from you reprove? Do you think that you can reprove words when the speech of a despairing man is wind? Would you even cast lots over the fatherless and bargain over a friend? But now be pleased to look at me, for I will not lie to your face. Please turn, let no injustice be done. Turn now, my vindication is at stake. Is there any injustice on my tongue? Can my palate discern the cause of calamity? And he says, okay, um, what did I do? Look at me. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to pretend that I was righteous when I wasn't. I'm not going to pretend that I was unrighteous when I wasn't. So tell me what I did then. And then Job continues. And in chapter 7, Job basically says, this sucks. And we're not going to read the entire thing, but he kind of reamps his entire, I'd kind of like to die. This is a nightmare. Life is short. Life is suffering. And Job is just like, this all hurts. But Eliphaz says, Job, you're struggling, uh, you're, you're, words, you are suffering because you were unrighteous. If you just repent, God will restore you. And Job's response is, you say that I'm suffering because I'm unrighteous. What did I do? I'm not actually unrighteous. I didn't sin. And so now at this point, maybe his friends as wise individuals would consider what Job's saying and they'd be like, well, okay, wait, let's look into this. What did you do leading up to this? Is there actually nothing that you're hiding? But then we go on to Bildad. So now it's Bildad's turn to talk. And after Job responds, Bildad is going to talk to Job. And uh, Bildad says, how long will you say these things and the words of your mouth be a great wind? Which is a whole fat way to say, um, you're lying. How long are you going to speak lies, Job? We know that you sinned. What other possible explanation could there be? Of course you sinned. Does God pervert justice or the Almighty pervert the right? If your children have sinned against him, he has delivered them into the hand of their transgression. In other words, really kicking Job while he's down. Job, your, your kids deserved it. Of course God killed him. What else would you expect him to do? I'm sure that Job felt great hearing that. <laughs> Oof. <laughs> If you will seek God and plead with the Almighty for mercy, if you are pure and upright, surely then he will rouse himself for you and restore your rightful habitation. And though your beginning was small, your latter days will be very great. And so Bildad looks at him and he doubles down. He says, uh, yeah, you're clearly lying. Your kids deserve to die and now you're sick. And if you repent, then God will heal your sickness. Even if it's too late for your sinful kids, there's still time for you, sinful Job. So they're doubling down. And the issue again is that what Bildad says, it's technically correct. In Proverbs chapter 2, 21 through 22, it says, 
For the upright will inhabit the land, and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. So as a general truth, what Bildad says is accurate. It is true that the way that God runs the world, if you're a righteous individual, things generally work out better. And if you're an unrighteous individual, things generally work out worse. That's what God's designed. Generally, that's true. But again, we know it's not true in Job's case. But Bildad says in verses 11 through 13, he says, Can papyrus grow where there is no marsh? Can reeds flourish where there is no water? Yet, while yet in flower and not cut down, they wither before any other plant. Such are the paths of all who forget God. The hope of the godless shall perish. And he's essentially saying in the same way that these plants can't grow without water, suffering doesn't come unless it grew in wickedness. It's like, Job, the notion that you could suffer like this, having done no wrong, that's as crazy as grass living without soil. We know that's not the case. And so they're saying things that are kind of accurate, but they're not accurate in Job's case. And so that's the problem that we're seeing with them. Wisdom that's generally true, and yet it does not mean that it's true in every situation. It is true that the righteous person will generally be better off. It is true that the unrighteous person will generally be worse off. But that does not mean that in every case of suffering, you're suffering because you sinned. And that does not mean that in every situation where someone's doing well, they're doing well because they're righteous. There are plenty of people that they're unrighteous and yet they still do well for a time. So how do you square that? Just because something's true in most cases doesn't mean it's always true. And that's the mistake that Job's friends make. Job's friends are taking general principles and applying them specifically. And now, here's the issue. I've seen a lot of situations where people will use the Bible, and even as they quote something that's true, they'll misapply it. I remember one situation. There was this lady, and this this lady was crazy. I won't say her name, but crazy lady. And one of the things that she would do is there was this proverb and there's a a proverb in the book of Proverbs that says, abandon the quarrel before it begins for the uh, beginning of strife is like the letting out of water. So essentially the proverb is, if you know that there's a fight brewing, just leave. Don't stick around for the conflict. Don't start a fight. If you're seeing things go in a bad direction, just turn another way. So this lady, she knew that proverb. She loved that proverb. And she would go into rooms and she would start fights. Like maybe she'd walk over to someone and she'd be like, hey, you jerk, you did this thing to me. How could you do that? And then as soon as the person looked at her to respond, she would say, abandon the quarrel before it begins. And then she'd walk out of the room. (laughs) I was too young for her to do it to me, but she did it to plenty of people. (laughs) So is she accurately applying that proverb? In the same way, Job's friends are not accurately applying their wisdom. And so that's the problem. It's like, you guys need to be aware that there is a right use and there is a wrong use of the Bible. It's not just about having the verses memorized. It's also about understanding how those verses are used. You can, like, and that's what it comes down to with uh, Proverbs 26, 7, and 9. You can have a situation. Oh, is that the TV? Like, when it says... 
like a thorn in the hand of a drunkard, so is a proverb in the mouth of fools. There's a way to use the Bible and there's a way to use true things as a club. And that's basically what Job's friends are doing. You have Eliphaz saying, you're suffering because you're wicked. And then Job says, but I'm not wicked though. And then Bildad comes in and he says, of course you're wicked and so are your kids. And that's why they're dead. And it's like, they're saying things that are generally true, but that's really the wrong way to use it. And the Bible used properly. It says, uh, the tongue of the wise brings healing, but the tongue of fools brings destruction. And if you're using the Bible properly, it's going to have a specific effect. And that effect is not to go to someone who's hurting and then knock them down a further peg. And I'm going to start moving a bit more quickly, but we're going to, I want to grab Job 10, one through seven. And this is a specific portion of Job's response to Bildad. And 10, one through seven, Job says, I loathe my life. I will give free utterance to my complaint. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. I will say to God, do not condemn me. Let me know why you contend against me. So he's looking at God and he's saying, why are you doing this to me? I know I don't deserve it. Why are you doing it anyway? In verse three, does it seem good to you to oppress, to despise the work of your hands and favor the designs of the wicked? Have you eyes of flesh? Do you see as man sees? Are your days as the days of a man or your years as the man's years that you should seek out my iniquity and search for my sin? Although you know that I am not guilty and there is none to deliver out of your hand. In other words, Job looks at God and he says, God, do you make mistakes the way that men make mistakes? Are you looking at this situation and actually seeing it inaccurately? Are you seeing a situation wrong the way that I might see a situation wrong? Are you perverting justice? Are you punishing me even though I didn't do anything? And are you doing it when you know I have no recourse? Are you oppressing me when I can't even look to someone to arbit between us? And Job's looking at God and he's saying, what are you doing? And so here's the issue. At the beginning of Job, you have that tagline, and in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. I'm going to give you a bit of a spoiler, but at the end of the book of Job, Job has to repent for the things he says, and all three of his friends have to repent for the things that they said. So one of the things that's going to be helpful as you guys are doing your devotions at home with this is as you're reading, you're going to want to see what are the things that Job's friends say wrong. You're also going to want to see what is the progression that Job makes as he goes? What are the things that he has to repent for? My guess is this is one of them where Job calls out God and he says, what are you doing? You've made a mistake. So that's an important part of Job's response, but Job has one more friend. There's one more dude with a spear in his hand who wants to take a stab at the fallen hero. And it's Zophar. So Zophar speaks, and this is pretty insane, but Zophar speaks in chapter 11, verses 1 through 6, if you guys want to follow along there. And uh, Bildad, you know, he, he went pretty low by saying, your kids are dead because they deserved it. Zophar is going to manage to go lower. Then Zophar the Namathite answered and said, should a multitude of words go unanswered? And a man full of talk be judged right? Should your babble silence men? And when you mock, shall no one shame you? 
For you say, my doctrine is pure, and I am clean in God's eyes. But, oh, that God would speak and open his lips to you, and that he would tell you the secrets of wisdom. For he is manifold in understanding. Know then that God exacts of you less than your guilt deserves. Dang. (laughs) Like, let's just think back again to what happened to Job. Everything Job owns has been destroyed or stolen. All of Job's kids are dead. And Job is sitting on the floor with a painful skin disease with his three friends around him, having lost everything. And they say, Job, the reason you're suffering is that you did something wrong. You just need to repent. And then Job says, I didn't do anything wrong, though. And then Bildad says, yeah, you're a liar. Your kids are dead because they were great sinners. And you're alive because maybe you weren't as bad as them. But God's giving you a chance to repent. You should take it. And then Job says, God hasn't, God's not judging me for doing something wrong. What do you mean? And then Zophar comes right on in for the kill. And he says, you deserve worse than you're getting, in fact. Not only do we know that you're a sinner, but we know that you're an even greater sinner than you're letting on. Job's having a bad day. And it's only getting worse, man. (laughs) But one of the things that's helpful is, first of all, since I was talking about this for the other two, what Zophar says is, again, technically true. In Romans 3, 10 through 12, um, it says, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. And so if you're a Christian, then all of us understand that we are not getting what we deserve. All of us understand that it is a true statement that we deserve worse than we're getting because we know as Christians that we deserve hell. And we know as Christians that we're being allowed into heaven because Jesus paid the price for us. Like, yeah, it is a technically true statement that 100% of people get better than they deserve. That's technically true. That is not the thing that you say to someone when they're suffering, man. That, that is not the play. And in Job's circumstance, we know that Job's not getting judged. And yet this guy's coming in and he says, you deserve worse. But here's why this is significant. And this is one of the things that's helpful about the book of Job. The way that, Job res- that Job's friends respond to him is not actually an uncommon way for people to respond to people who are suffering. I remember one time uh, I, I knew a pastor and this pastor was in a situation where the elder board of his church was just brutally sinning against him. Over the course of over a year, this elder board was slandering him. This elder board was having secret meetings behind his back. Like he was in India training pastors. And while he's in India training pastors, his elder board has a secret meeting that they don't tell him about where they can slander his character. <laughs> the likes of which had never happened before in the history of that church. (laughs) And this pastor's talking to me and he's saying, you know, man, I think that I haven't done anything wrong in this situation. I feel like I'm handling this the way that I should. I don't know what's going on. But I mean, I think back to the story of Job and like, Job was a sinner. And I mean, Job technically deserved what happened to him. You know, it's like, you know, it's, you're a sinner. We all deserve worse than we get. And this guy is in a lot of pain. He's being massively sinned against. And as he's trying to think about what could possibly be the reason that God's having me go through this, he actually thought for himself the same thing that Zophar told Job. 
Zophar told Job, you deserve worse than you get. And this pastor is suffering, not because he did something wrong, but he's being sinned against. And he's suffering. And as he's trying to find an explanation, he actually goes exactly where Zophar went. And I told him, dude, you're quoting the book of Job as you're completely missing the whole point of the book of Job. The point of the book of Job is that you're not always suffering as a result of your sin, and yet you're here you are saying, I must be suffering as a result of my sin. But as you go through life, you'll see that as people are in pain, sometimes they start speaking the words of Job's friends to themselves, or other people will speak the words of Job's friends to them. Like imagine someone who they were saving money and they were being diligent to put their money in the bank and set aside a percentage every paycheck to make sure they had some for the rainy day. And then all of the sudden, the stock crash of the Great Depression happens and all of the banks collapse and all of their savings are gone in an instant. Maybe another person walks up to them and says, hey, you should have done what I did and not put all your money in the banks. You see, I knew something like this might have happened. You see, my friend, uh, this is actually your fault. Could you have predicted the crash like that? No, no, of course not. Um, it, was it seemingly responsible to put some money away in the banks? I mean, yeah, but um, uh, you're suffering and I'm not, which means I must have done something right and you must have done something wrong. And so the issue is, one of the helpful things about reading the book of Job is that you get a bunch of examples of things that you probably shouldn't say to yourself or others when they're suffering and you don't know why. It's not that, that suffering is never the result of sin. Suffering is often the result of sin, but not in every case. And you can't assume that it will be because if you do and you mishandle the knowledge you have, you're like a drunkard with a sword in your hand harming everyone around you because just because you know the bible doesn't mean that you're going to use it right so i'm going to leave you with this final example there's a fair bit left of job 4 through 14 but we're running out of time so we're going to leave out job's last response but i'm going to leave you with this knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit but wisdom is not putting that tomato in fruit salad so with that, let's bow our heads and let's pray it out. <laughs> Lord, I pray that you would help us to not just be students of the Bible, but also be people who wisely apply the Bible. I pray that you would help us to see suffering in the world. And even if we know that suffering is often the result of sin, that we would know that that's not always the case. I pray that you would help us to be better comforters than Job's friends, that when we are around people, that we would speak softly and kindly to them. And that even if they are in a situation of their own designs, where they are being punished for their sin, that we would speak gently and entice them back to you. And Lord, that we would have the humility to know that we might not know the whole situation. I pray that you would help us to enjoy and learn from the story of Job. And I pray these things in the name of our King Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.